John 17, verse 20 through 26. Jesus is with his disciples, and Jesus is praying before God for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may myself be in them. I ask blessings on the reading of this word. The word of God is the breath of God. Have you ever had that moment when you finish a great book and you feel almost empty as if this wonderful imaginary world just washes away and you're left in your, in your living room? Or when you come to the end of an amazing movie and you realize you're not in fact Iron Man? Or when you've watched all eight seasons of Parks and Recreation during finals week? <clears throat> Don't judge me. You might feel sad, but it's okay because you can just binge watch the net next Netflix sitcom. In today's Bible verse, it feels like we're at the end of an incredibly immersive experience. And we're getting ready to feel a little bit lost. This passage is one of the final moments that Jesus will spend with his disciples before the crucifixion. And really, we've been watching one of the greatest sitcoms of all time over the past few months. Just look at our cast of characters. We have a tax collector, a fisherman or two, a handful of foreigners, some prostitutes, and other members of the unwashed masses. And they're all bumbling over themselves following this Jesus character who's got a very different outlook on life. I can almost hear the studio audience laugh as Peter tries to walk on water or as the disciples fall asleep when they are supposed to be keeping watch. Our little Netflix original has taken some more serious turns over the past few weeks as Jesus is about to prepare himself for the crucifixion. After all we've been through, this is our final episode. It is the final time that Jesus will have to speak to his loved ones. I don't know about you, but it feels like the cool part of this sitcom is almost over for me. Without Jesus as the main character, it's going to be like when Steve Carell left the office or when they remade Footloose with Zac Efron. If you have one of those Bibles that has quotes in it in red from Jesus, you'll notice that this section is basically like the Mighty Utah student section during a football game. Uh, Jesus has a lot to say to these people that he loves in his final moments. 
All of his disciples are huddled around him, not knowing what the future holds and not really knowing what's going to happen next. As Jesus is saying his last words, I got to thinking about last moments. Some of us may have been there for a loved one's last moments on this earth. For some of us, if we just close our eyes, that experience was so intense that we could almost tell, us, tell you where we were, what the room looked like, who we were with, how it felt. Almost no one gets to choose their last words. Either death is too sudden or it's too prolonged and painful for us to know that it's the right time to say a big final speech. I work in a place where death becomes a daily occurrence, and it's something you battle with and begin to understand as part of life. In this place, I hear a lot of last words. I hear ironic and sad last words like, I'll see you tomorrow for more physical therapy. I see last words like, why can't it be my time to go? To some, their last words are, I can't wait to see Jack again. Jack is a dog, by the way. It's almost always the dog. It's never the spouse. <laughs> in all seriousness, we can put ourselves in that situation, whether that moment was at a facility, in a hospital bed, or even in our own homes. Jesus has the luxury of being able to know when his death will come. We can all imagine what he might say, but just like Jesus likes to do, he surprises us. And his last moments of screen time before his death are no different. First off, no answers are given, really. And that's kind of frustrating and a rather cold move, if you ask me. After all this time, the disciples spent with him, he could at least drop one steadfast way into getting to heaven or tell them which one he liked the best. I sort of want Jesus to say something like, huddle up, guys. Okay, don't drink, don't smoke, go to church, and you'll get there. See you on the other side. Hike. That sure would have been nice. So he's, if he's not going to give a short list of all the things he wants done when he leaves, which consequently is what my mom does before I leave the house, then they should at least give a big, brave heart speech. He should have said something like, Oh, my brothers, we have traveled so far and fought great battles. We have stood arm in arm against tyranny and anger and oppression. And now I leave you, but fear not, for you will still go on and kick some butt in the name of God, for I shall not falter. And you get the idea after that. It kind of sounds like Independence Day. On the contrary, the most charged thing that Jesus says is may there also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. Jesus chooses his last words to his loved ones not as some big, romantic, wonderful speech or a list, a checklist of things you must do, but he just explains some basic truths. He knows what's coming next. He knows that these next few days will challenge them all and bring them to tears and shame. He could warn them, but he uses this moment to pray for them. And one of the things he does is he puts a little warning in this prayer. Some of Jesus' final moments are spent warning his friends about the world, not about crucifixion, not about any of the immediate problems, but the world at large. I mean, I think we can safely say there are two worlds out there. 
There's the world of Christ, and there's the world of everything else. Jesus truly thought there were two. There's the world of house payments, car rentals, deodorant commercials. This is the world that gives us anxiety as we fall asleep at night. We all literally lose sleep because the call of the stuff, the things that we want, is so loud in our heads. It sounds silly, but it's true because there's so much want in the world. Not need, but want. There's so much want in Utah. There's so much want in this room. It's almost as if we are not able to function without this never-ending, all-consuming want. This world might seem negative, but it is enticing, too. Who doesn't want their kids to have lots of money, a great house, a hot tub, and health insurance? This is simply a duality of being a believer that Jesus is warning his friends about. On the one hand, you want security. But why the sleepless nights? Why the pain and fear? Why can't we stop the distraction of the never-ending want? Jesus does what he does with most things when he answers this question. He makes things painfully simple. Concerning the world, Jesus says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. He makes it very clear the world does not know God. And I have some bad news for you, everybody, but we're part of that world. We're all here on 777 South and 1300 East, and we're in enemy territory. We're living in the world of man, and if you do not make the distinction between the world of stuff and need and the world of Christ, then it'll get on top of you faster than you think. The best way to make this distinction in my mind is thinking back to people's last words. I don't think anyone's ever said, what a great life, I really loved that Porsche, you know, right before they die. I don't think anybody said things like, I'm so happy that I get to leave my kids that giant empty house that I'm no longer going to live in. I don't think anyone says, I'm so happy we stayed in that seven-star hotel in Barbados. You know, this world of wealth and greed and war and hate, it doesn't speak the last words of people in their life. I can tell you with some experience that their last words focus on family. They focus on love. They focus on loss. A lot of them focus on happiness. I know it's kind of been a downer up here so far in the sermon, but a lot of their last words are very joyful. And it has nothing to do with the world at large. And Jesus' final speech doesn't either. He focuses on his friends. Jesus prays for them to have a message. He wants to, us to live our lives like at any moment we might not have a chance to say those last words. He's praying for us to have a message. Jesus even says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. We're the there. We're the message. In this sentence, Jesus is directly talking to us. Our message is one of forgiveness, peace, and love, and acceptance. Yes, in general, these values have become more and more popular to the world as well, but it's not the same. Take our forgiveness, for example. 
Our message of forgiveness is different than the message of the world. I work with prisoners down at the metro jail. I had a student in my class just a few weeks ago who had been in jail 18 times in 10 years. He couldn't get any of his family to call him back. He had nowhere to go when he left. He was completely alone. When you're listening to the world, the world's forgiveness is telling you, protect your family, protect your children. You don't need him in your life. He has a drug problem. He's been in jail 18 times in 10 years. Now is the time to push him out. That's the forgiveness the world might tell you. But that's not the forgiveness Jesus is talking about. Our forgiveness is not known by the world. For us, forgiveness is not an action taken after we are wronged, but truly a way of life. If someone has wronged you, broken from you, stole from you, or shamed you, then that's part of our message of forgiveness. If you're a teacher out there and you spend time with students, you know about forgiveness, you know about moving on, just like Jesus was a teacher to all of us. The world said that it's the right way to go to ignore this kind of person, but our forgiveness carries a message that says no matter what a person has done to wrong you, it's Christ's love that will bring us back to him again and again with forgiveness in our hands. So does that mean you invite him to move in with you and you save his life, or does that mean you pray for him and send him a smile and, as you walk by? Jesus warns his disciples of the duality of being a believer. He has told them that the real way to combat this is to have a message of love and forgiveness on our lips. But I want to emphasize another point of this speech, and that's the tender humanness of this prayer that Jesus is giving to his friends. It seems like throughout the Bible, Jesus has a story that he's telling, an intention behind every word that he says. But here, Jesus lets his guard down a little, and you can almost feel the passion and love that he feels for these people he is talking to. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am. This is a reference to heaven, but I also think it's an honest plea that Jesus just wants us to be with him so badly. And guess what? We're his friends too. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to know him like God knows him, and no one will ever know you like God knows you. That's the most important part of this to me, is that Jesus wants us to know him. He wants the disciples to know him, and it means more than you might think. Jesus wants us to know him in a more intimate way than you know that awkward guy at work who's always showing you pictures of his kids. Jesus wants us to know him more than we might know a spouse, than we might know a child, even. Jesus wants us to know him, but it's not just Jesus. I would argue that all of us truly just want to be known by each other for who we really are, to deeply understand who we are. So how do we do that? How do we know Jesus? The good news is that the answer is easy. Bad news is it's kind of hard. Become a servant. He's always been there for us, and the best way to know him is to be with another person, to walk in someone else's shoes.
Well, walking in Jesus' sandals is a rather tall order, if I do say so myself. So, because we're not going to be walking on water or curing the blind anytime soon, how do we learn who Jesus is? There are many things that are hard for Christians to do. But seeing Christ in your fellow human, like Maggie was talking about in the children's sermon, it's not that hard. A great example of that is the youth group. I talk to them a lot. Uh, we have the highest, one of the highest rate of teen suicides in the nation here in Utah. I don't know if you know that. We talk about that in youth group quite a bit, and often I hear questions texted to me in private. I know this friend. He's really lost. I'm really scared. I don't know what to do. Does that mean you open the door for that friend, put him in your basement, tell him you're going to be your best friend and never leave his side? No. For that boy, it might be a smile in the hallway on a night when he feels like he just can't take it anymore. For that girl that you see who seems to have all the friends, it might be a small conversation by a locker. I know it's, someone out there right now is thinking, why are we here when Curtis isn't speaking? This kid is so naive. He said to push the world away, but we still need money to buy food. He said to have a message with your life, and I already come to church every Sunday. What more do we want from me? And now he thinks that I can basically change the world through smiles. I don't think ISIS is going to stop killing people if I smile at them. I don't think race-driven conflict is going to stop happening between police and young men of color because we smile at each other. Those are some heavy topics. That's what you deal with as an adult. Well, I'm not a starry-eyed optimist about many things. And I understand that this is not the way the world works, but that might be the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus is praying for us to be servants, and every servant has to start somewhere. When I teach the prisoners, I call it flexing your faith muscles. Even in the final moments that he has with his loved ones, Jesus wants his friends to know him truly. And we do that by having a true message of love, by putting others before ourselves and putting Jesus in our hearts and treating other people like people. I don't know if you see me up here and listen to me because you think I'm cute and I'm young. I don't know if you think you're bored because I'm up here and I'm old news. But this message today is not mine. This message today is Christ's. And in his final moments with his loved ones, he prays for us to be there for each other in small ways first. Though this is the answer to Jesus' prayer, maybe a smile sounds like a good ending to a final episode. Thank you.